The hard part is over. You got checked in and now you get to have your life be changed forever in services like this one this morning. And not because I'm here, but because God is here. He's the one who's going to change things if we submit to his will. If you have your Bibles, we're going to go to 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 8 will be where we're reading from this morning. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 8. If you have it on your actual Bible, say amen. If you have it on your iPhone, say amen. If you're hoping they put it on the screen, say amen. All right. I'm not going to preach on that, but let's bring our Bibles to church. 1 Peter 5, verse number 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Someone say, God cares for me. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Everybody say, devour. I want to preach on this topic this morning, how to beat a roaring lion, how to beat a roaring lion. Let's pray together. And when we pray this morning, we're going to go, because we've made announcements, because we've already made our way back to the seat, let's do something unorthodox for just a second. And when we pray, go ahead and surrender to what God wants to do for this service. I'm not going to have to ask for that at altar call because we're already going to be prepared this morning for whatever God wants to do. So why don't you lift your hands in the air right now? Begin to cry out to Jesus and say, God, whatever it is that you want to do in this place, I'm submitted to that. I surrender to my life being changed in this service this morning. Not because Brother Seth's preaching, not because we're in a gymnasium and we're blessed by facilities, but ultimately because I want to be what you want me to be. God, have your will and your way in this place. Bless the word and touch it as it goes forth. Make it on good ground in the hearts of the lives of these young people. In Jesus' name, amen. That feels good. We can just praise for just one more second. I think that's okay. We can give God some glory for just one more second. You can be seated. The passage of Scripture that we read this morning is from Peter, and he is writing to a church in Asia. And the intention of this letter that he wrote was to provide instruction and encouragement to the church that was facing persecution. At the time, the church was facing persecution for what they believed and how they were living. It was different than the place they were associated with. They were different than the world around them. The world around them wanted to oppose the work that they were doing because they had never seen lives be changed that way, and any time change happens, it alters the way people view things. The church was different than the world around them. Does that sound familiar? Like in the days of the early church, the church today is under constant attack from society about the way that we live, what we believe, standing for truth, and appearing holy before an almighty God. However, just like in the early church, we're going to continue moving forward and spreading the gospel of Jesus because that's what he wanted for his church. In the face of opposition and persecution, it may be weird for us to act and dress and talk the way that we do, but we're going to do what God has asked us to do even in the face of persecution. Amen. During this passage of instruction and encouragement, Peter introduces the word adversary. Everybody say adversary. And he names him the devil. 
the adversary, the devil. Adversary just means opponent or enemy. The Bible says that you have an enemy, and that enemy is the devil. Everybody say the devil. And that's all we're going to do to give him any kind of name recognition because in the presence of Almighty God, he's just, a, he's just there. He's just like all of creation. He has to bow just like we do because God is over him, okay? That's all right this morning. I'm not here to scare you or frighten you about this adversary, the devil. However, it's important for you to know that you do have an enemy of your soul. There is an active effort to not, for you to not make it to heaven. He has no power over you, but there is an active effort for you to not make it to heaven. And we just sing about it. Maybe we don't sing about heaven enough anymore because when I'm thinking about walking on streets of gold and walking with no sickness or disease and seeing the loved ones that we lost years ago and we're going to meet them in the air, I get a little bit of excited about that, and I think that's something worth fighting for. I want you to understand that the Bible does not say that it's the adversary. He calls him your adversary, your adversary, the devil. It's personal to him. See, it offends him that you're able to obtain mercy and grace. It offends him that you're able to come in and worship the King of Kings in the presence of Almighty God because he messed up and he can't do that anymore. He thought he deserved some kind of credit that was due to him, but he didn't get it. So he got kicked out of heaven, and he's mad. He's angry because we get mercy and grace, and when we mess up, God forgives us, and we're able to come into his presence, and we're able to exalt the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That angers him, and it's personal to him. He has no power to stop me from praising Jesus this morning. He can stand there and be angry all he wants. He has no power to stop me from lifting up my hands and lifting up my voice and giving God glory when he does something for me or because of who he is. He has no power over me this morning. But the devil has to sit there in hell and witness a generation of young people be crafted into everything that God wants them to be. And he has nothing he can do about it. He can throw attacks at you. He can throw words in your face, but it doesn't matter because he has no power over you because we're a child of the king. He has to sit there and watch repentance and baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost happen in our church services. He has to sit there and endure that because there's nothing he can do to stop it. The truth is moving forward. He has to sit there and witness this generation grow into what God wants them to be, and it's personal to him. And while we know that the devil's been defeated by Jesus and he doesn't have any particular power over you, the Bible does still say that he is your enemy. He does not want you to succeed. He does not want you in heaven. He does not want you to have a relationship with Jesus. And the Bible says that he is seeking whom he may devour. He wants you destroyed. When I say destroyed, I'm talking about your eternal destination. We just sang about heaven, but there is another option. And sometimes, like I said, we may not talk about heaven enough. We may not talk about hell enough because there is another option. And there is an active effort in the world today to make issues that are in our Bible not heaven or hell issues. That's not what the Bible says because at the end of the day, I'm going to one of those two destinations. I will be going to heaven or I will be going to hell. And the actions and the decisions that we make on this earth is what dictates where we head. And because of God's saving grace, we have the ability to make it to heaven. I don't plan on giving up. I don't plan on standing still. I plan on doing everything I can to ensure that the fight that's worth fighting for is my eternal destination this morning. There's an active effort to dilute issues that are plain as day in God's word. You'll hear it say, I just don't think that's a heaven or hell issue. 
But at the end of the day, young people, I'm not trying to be your pastor by any means, but everything ultimately is a heaven or hell issue because we're going to one of those two destinations at eternity. And the decisions we make today dictates that. Our enemy would like to increase the population of hell, and our Savior would like to increase the population of heaven. I know where I plan on going. I know what I plan on doing at the end of this thing. I'm going to heaven, Lord willing. I'm glad about six of y'all are going with me. That's so exciting. God's been too good for me to take any chances in this fight against this enemy that doesn't want what's best for me. He's been way too good. He's blessed me way too much for me to take any chances on what God has in store for me. I've got to do everything I can to make it to heaven. But the adversary is referred to as a roaring lion. And if you look in nature, there are three primary reasons that a lion may roar. Lions roar to assert dominance and place fear into the heart of their enemies when they're hunting. Fear is one of the main weapons of the enemy because it's the opposite of faith. And I'm going to get through this pretty quickly because the third one's the one that I want to bring attention to. So the devil may be roaring because he wants to put fear in your heart. Another reason that the lions roar is to signal to others they have ownership over that territory. Lions are prideful creatures, and the lion will use its roar to boast about the control he has over a particular area. And to put this in plain terms, the devil may be roaring because he wants to let you know your school, that's mine. Your unsafe family members, they're mine. The lion may be roaring to show you what he has ownership of or what he says he has ownership of. The city that your church is in, that's mine. But young people, I'm here to tell you one of the primary reasons that a lion roars is because they feel threatened that their ownership is being threatened. They feel threatened that somebody is on the verge of taking what is theirs. They'll roar as a signal to say, back off. That school system, that's mine. I'm roaring so you know not to come anywhere near it. But young person, we've got the power of Jesus. And we're able to walk into a school system and start a P7 Bible study and say, go ahead and roar all you want, devil, because I'm here and Jesus is with me. Go ahead and do whatever you want to do because I'm here and you can't stop me. You have no power over me. If you're in college, that college campus, the devil may be roaring saying, back off, this university's mine. But a CMI chapter can be started in Alabama that says, you can roar all you want, devil. I'm here and Jesus is with me and I'm going to do what God told me to do. This truth is marching on and there's nothing he can do to stop it. The city your church is in, he may think that he has some level of ownership, but that pastor that planted that church there so many years ago and you that somehow worked your way into that church and you're working in ministry there, he has no ownership in that city. You can do what you want to do for God there because the devil may be roaring, but he can't stop you. He may think he has control of your finances, but there's a real McCoy in the room that says, no, sir, that's God's money. You can roar all you want to, but I'm going to give it to the kingdom because that's where it needs to be. God's going to use it in ways beyond my imagination. And devil, you can roar all you want. I'm here giving God what's his. In your future, there are children that the devil thinks he has ownership of, but there's a future Sunday school teacher in this room that says, nope, that's not happening at my church 
There's a future youth pastor in this room that says, oh, when they turn 13, all of a sudden it gets easier. No, sir, not happening in my church. The devil, you can roar all you want to. I'm not letting you gain an inch. I'm not letting you gain a ground. This is my church. This is my city. We can fight all day long if you want. I've got Jesus on my side. I'm not giving up to you. There's a future pastor in this room, and there's cities all over Alabama that don't have a church in them. The devil thinks he's got some kind of ownership there because there's no established church, but not today, not next year, not in the future, because there's a future pastor in this room that says, you thought you had ownership, but roar all you want, I'm coming, and God's coming with me. There's ownership in music all over the industry, but we just witnessed it. AL Youth Worship does as good a job as anybody. Devil, you thought you were the praise leader in heaven. Devil, you thought you've got control over some kind of music industry. No, sir. God blessed our people with talent. He blessed them with ability, and then he gave them anointing to make them even more powerful and even more talented and even more able to do what God wants you to do because music was created to lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they may pervert what that actually is in this world, but not here, not in this church. You can roll you want the music's God's and we're giving that over to them so if we're in a fight this morning if we're in a fight this morning for our eternal destination it's the highest stakes that we have it's not just your life it's your life forever your life everlasting if we're in a fight this morning is there some way to beat a roaring lion. Because as much as we have power in heaven and in earth, the way that God gave the keys to the kingdom to Peter, as much as we can walk into our cities with faith and proclaim, he is still a roaring lion and you will face opposition. I'm not trying to downtrod you or depress you about what God's calling you to do because I believe throughout this week you're going to overcome any weakness. You're going to overcome any depression. You're going to overcome anything that, that, that makes you doubt what God's calling you to do because this generation is going to do something incredible for God because we're running out of time and that we know that there's a last day's revival coming. But there's got to be a way to beat him. And the Bible actually tells us how. I want to preface what I'm about to say with this. God sometimes does not use conventional forms of fighting. He does things a little unconventional at times, and he orders his people to do things a little unconventional at times. To defeat the city of Jericho, he said, we're going to walk around it, and then we're going to praise a little bit, or a lot of bit. He didn't storm the gates. He said, praise is the weapon. To defeat the Midianites, God told Gideon, You've got too much going on. Trim that army down. And then trim it down again. Because God can use what little you have for his glory far more than you think what you have for your glory. God's able to do more. To defeat a giant named Goliath, he used a little shepherd boy named David. And he didn't give him a sword, and he didn't give him a spear. He gave him a sling. Make it make sense to me. To defeat the Moabites, God simply made them fight each other. Sometimes there's battles that you're fighting that God said, I'll take care of that if you just get out of the way. We've got to remember that God's in control of our situations if we'll just let him control it. And defeat, to defeat sin, he could have done anything. He's God. He robed himself in flesh and died on Calvary for all of us. Sometimes his ways of fighting are unconventional, and that's Okay. But when Peter was writing the church, we read it in the text this morning, we're going to talk about three themes that Peter actually gave the church before he even ever introduced the adversary, before he introduced the enemy. He said, this is how you're going to beat him. 
Everybody ready for that? Okay, two of you. Everybody ready for that? The first thing that we can do, and it's going to get tight here in a second. The first thing that we can do to beat the roaring lion is to submit ourselves to the elders in our lives. That's not me telling you that. That's what the Word says. 1 Peter 5 and 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And younger and elder is not just an age. Elder actually refers to a spiritual leader. And for all intents and purposes for us, that is your pastor. To beat a roaring lion, we submit to our pastor. I can't stress this enough, guys. Your pastor is a gift that God gave you. Just like he gave you the Holy Ghost, he gave you a pastor. And I'm going to put it plainly in Scripture. Ephesians 4 and 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And verse 12 tells you exactly why. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Your pastor is a gift from God to you. He said, you don't have to fight this thing alone. I'm going to send you somebody that's going to help you out. I'm going to put somebody in your life that's going to lead you and guide you and direct your steps and talk to you from me to make sure you know where to go and make sure you know what not to do. Your pastor is a gift. And in order to fight a roaring lion, we have to submit to our pastor. Everybody say amen. Submission is a tough topic because inherently as human beings, we don't like doing that. We don't like surrendering ourselves to anybody. We struggle doing it with God, and we struggle even more probably doing it with other people. It's hard for me to look somebody in the eye and say, that guy knows more than I do. But when it comes to our pastors, he does. God put him there for a reason. The devil wants you to ignore godly leadership because he understands that he quickly gets outnumbered when you're in submission. He quickly gets outnumbered when there's somebody else on your team. Because it's not just you and God anymore. It's you and God and the man of God that God placed over you to fight the enemy of your soul. There's an active effort to get people to stop listening to pastors. They're old school. Those standards that he keeps on his platform don't work anymore. There's some truths about submission that'll make your life significantly easier if you can grip this, okay? God placed you at your church for a reason. For a reason. It's not by accident. It's not by happenstance. You are where you are for a reason. Likewise, God placed your pastor there for a reason. It's a crazy exercise of no faith to sit there and say it's all by happenstance that my pastor is who he is and I'm sitting underneath him. I, I choose to believe that God knows who I, who I am. God created me and God knows exactly what I need to, to do with his will. God knows exactly what's necessary for me to get crafted and molded and shapen. So he sent me a gift with my pastor. Another truth, your pastor sees things that you may not. Your pastor sees things that you may not. It's an arrogant exercise to tell that man of God who's been doing you this a whole lot longer than any of you have, he doesn't know what I know. He doesn't see what I see. You're absolutely right. He sees more than that. He sees things that you don't know that's coming because God reveals things to him because he's got a responsibility greater than we can imagine to get you to heaven. 
He has to give an account for you. And God sent you a gift for somebody to advocate for you. And you, it's such an arrogant exercise to sit there and say, my pastor don't know what I'm going through. Your pastor knows more about what you're going through than, he think, than you think he does. Your pastor preaches and teaches what God tells him to preach. It's a silly exercise to hear your pastor preach something and then get convicted and say, why is my pastor trying to hurt my feelings? It's a silly exercise to sit there and say, why would he say that about me? He's only doing what God told him to. So if you have a problem with what your pastor's preaching, take it up with the man who told him to preach it. Because as long as he stays in his word, as long as he stays in the Bible, your problem's not with your pastor, it's with who's delivering the message. And the crafter of that message, the author and finisher of our faith, is Jesus. So if you've got a problem with that, take it up with him. He's not trying to hurt you or hinder you in any way. Your pastor actually wants you to succeed. Your pastor wants what's best for you. He bears a responsibility that many in this room will never understand. He has to give an account for your soul. He has to go before God and say, how's so-and-so doing? So-and-so's doing good. I want to make an active effort in my life that when my pastor has to give an account for me, that's the one he's excited about giving. That's the one he's pumped up about giving. How's Seth Teston doing? Oh, I'll tell you how Seth's doing. Seth's doing great. Seth's doing wonderful. You have nothing to worry about there. To beat a roaring lion, we have to submit to our pastors. When he preaches, we need to pay attention. When he teaches, we need to learn from his wisdom. And outside of him being in the pulpit, we need to obtain as much advice from him as we can. Because when he takes the pulpit, he's preaching to a congregation. But I urge you, when you leave this camp or when you leave this service today, text your pastor and say, Pastor, I just want you to know that I'm submitted to you. It's heavy, but I feel the Holy Ghost. Pastor, I just want you to know, I know I'm going to show you with my actions, but I just want you to know that whatever you do, I got your back. Whatever it is that you do, as long as you're staying in God's word, which I'm, I'm, I'm full of faith that you're going to do, I'm submitted to you. Whatever direction you want to take this church, I'm with you. Even if I disagree, I'm not going to open my mouth and let anybody else know about it because I'm submitted to you, Pastor. I got your back. These pastors have been fighting the enemy way longer than we have, and they know a lot more than we do, and it'll get easier as we start to realize that. When he sets up standards for your life, Obey them. I can tell you what the Bible says, but your pastor hears from God on a daily basis about you. If there's something that you're struggling with, even if it's not black, white, and red in the Bible, God gave you a gift to help you, your pastor. He's not gonna get outside of the word of God and, and give you advice. He's gonna interpret and give you what you need to be successful. Those standards that he gives you are not just for the platform. They're for your life. That went over like I thought it would. Those standards that he gave you are not just for the platform. There's a culture that's out there that says, I'll wear the dress code if I'm singing that Sunday. There's a culture that's out there that says, I'll be holy and acceptable before a holy God if I'm on the platform that day or if I'm teaching Bible study that month. But I've read the book. I can't find anywhere in it that says, on Sundays, do this. On Sundays, holiness applies. On Sundays, obedience applies. 
I don't see it in there. If you want to talk after service and you found it, come show me, but I haven't found it yet. So when your pastor lays out standards for you, that is for your life, not just for Sundays, not just for your platform ministry, not just because you're teaching. That is to help you. Brother Raymond Woodward once said, more, more than the children of Israel kept holiness standards. Holiness standards kept the children of Israel. They're there for your benefit. They're there to protect you. And God gave you a pastor to explain them to you should you not know what they are. He's a gift. Those standards are to be obeyed inside the church house and outside the church house. They're not rules. They're meant to protect me. And the the quicker I get to that conclusion, the easier it gets. Make an effort to develop a relationship with your pastor beyond his pulpit time. My pastor probably gets annoyed with me with as much as I text him and as much as I call him. I'm going to say this, and you can take it however you want to take it. I don't make big decisions in my life without talking to my pastor first. Because I've come to grips with the fact that he sees things that I don't. He sees things that are further down the line. And if I'm making some big decision, ministry, buying a house, moving, whatever it may be, where I, go to co- where I went to college, I talked to pastor about it because he sees things that I don't. I encourage you to develop a relationship with your pastor and submit to the advice that he gives you. As you grow and mature in ministry, you will be so glad that you linked up with a man of God who is looking out for you. You will be so glad. You'll look back. Hindsight's always 20-20. You'll look back 20 years from now and say, thank God that he gave me that man of God. Thank God that he sent my pastor to that city. My pastor has been in Madison for 19 years. I haven't been there that entire time. But I I choose to believe that when God made me and he orchestrated the plan for my life as I've submitted to that, He knew exactly where I'd be when I'm 27 years old. He knew exactly what challenges I would face, and he knew the man for the job, my pastor. And he said, I'm going to give Seth what he needs, a pastor. So I encourage you to develop a relationship with your pastor outside of his pulpit time. The second theme this morning, to beat a roaring lion. If that one was heavy, this one's going to get worse. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. That's 1 Peter 5 and 6. It sounds very similar to James 4 and 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Someone say humility. Being humble is simply the opposite of being prideful. Somebody say pride. Pride is a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Pride's all about me. It's what I did. It's how I played music. It's how I preached. It's how I sang. That's pride. The Bible doesn't speak very kindly on pride. Proverbs 16 and 18 says this, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Someone say destruction. Destruction. 
This verse ties together so beautifully because if we're in a fight for our eternal soul and we're against a roaring lion, the devil, the adversary, he wants me destroyed and he actually knows the weapon very easily to do that because it's the same one that destroyed him, pride. Proverbs also says that a proud look is one of the few things that God hates. I don't like doing things that God hates. It's not wise. The Bible also says in the verse right before the one we read that he resisteth the proud, but give grace to the humble. I don't want to walk through life running on no grace. I'm going to do everything I can to not make mistakes, but when I do make mistakes, every little bit of grace that I've kind of shown in my account will be nice to have. But if I'm arrogant, that's difficult. If I'm prideful, that's difficult because God resisteth the proud. I want to make somebody in this room aware of something. Pride comes in two forms. This actually ties directly into my first point. I learned this from my pastor. Arrogance and insecurity are both pride. Arrogance says, I'm better than you no matter what you say or what you think. I'm better than they are. I'm better than what my pastor asked me to do. I'm better than cleaning the church on a Saturday. I'm better than that, Pastor. Come on. I'm talented. I can play. I'll just get real. I can play music, Pastor. I'm better than cleaning the church. Cleaning the church once in a while does a lot for your pride. That was free. I'm better than the sinners at my church. When pastor's preaching like he's preaching, he's preaching to the sinners, and I'm, I'm better than them. I don't need that message. That's pride. That's arrogance. And we're aware of arrogance. It shows itself pretty heavily, and you can identify it with somebody. You can say, that guy's arrogant. That lady's arrogant. But insecurity is not a whole lot different because where arrogance says I'm better no matter what you say or think, insecurity says I'm worse no matter what you say or think. And this one hits hard because we don't talk about this one as much. It's the same spirit, pride. I'll never be as good as they are. I'll never be good enough for my pastor to use me. I'm not talented enough to do what God called me to do, which is a a silly thing to say because if God called you, you're inherently able to do what he asked you to do. God don't make mistakes. They're the same spirit because all it says is that my opinion of myself is more important and more valued than anybody else's, including God's. Pride's dangerous because you're basically telling God, I know you made me and I know that you know everything there is in the universe and you're not governed by time, but I know what I'm capable of doing better than you do. That's silly. When you, when you put it like that, that's silly. Humility is not an easy exercise in the culture that we live in today. I'm just going to preach it like I feel it. Someone say social media. Why can't we just use the tools at our disposal to glorify God and not ourselves? I'm just going to say it again. Why can't we use the tools at our disposal to give the person deserving of the glory the glory and not bring glory to me? 
There ain't no, there's no need for me to go fishing for praise because the praise is due to Almighty God. I don't, I'm not in the same category of deserving that. And if God said that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, who else do I need to hear that from? Why do I got to post that picture? Why do I got to put that on social media? Because I don't need to hear from anybody else that the way I am is, is, is good with God because he made me. I don't need any kind of validation from this world to say, oh, you look so good, fella. You look so good, girl. God made me. I'm content in that. Who else do we need to hear that from? Why do we put that junk on there? Humble yourself was the word that Peter used. Humble yourself is a proactive exercise. You have to take steps to do that. For God to use us, we have to be humble. And frankly, it's a dangerous thing to come to a youth camp and say, God, use me. I want you to use me. Please use me. Without the exercise of humbling yourself. Because um, unfortunately, there's a lot of times where God's going to give in and say, okay, I'll agree to use you, but if you don't humble yourselves, I'm going to have to do it. Because we pray, pray, and pray, God, I want to be used. I want you to use the talent and the skill set you blessed me with to be able to touch this world and touch this kingdom. But if we go into that with arrogance, God says, I'm eventually going to give that to you, but you're going to have to learn some lessons the hard way before that happens. Young person, I'm not a whole lot older than you. Humble yourself before God has to humble you. That's a hard lesson to learn. Because if we really desire to be used by God in the way that he wants to use us, we have to be humble. And the reason why is because when something great happens, God wants the glory. And if we're in the way, he's not going to get it because we're going to give it to ourselves. Somebody say, God gets the glory. And then say, not me. You'll be surprised that if we were just to, to stand here and actually pray that, how fast God would move in this place. And we may get there in a minute. If you want to be humble, whatever you're doing, just remember that you're doing it for God. If it's a Bible study that you're teaching, if it's a song that you're singing, if it's picking up some kids for, for church, you're doing it for God. And if you keep that perspective that whatever I'm doing, I'm doing for him. And I'm not getting, it, I'm not getting any glory for it, I'm giving it to God. It'll be okay. The Bible also says that he will exalt you in due time. There's another active effort in the world today that says if you don't get promoted fast enough, do something about it. If you, it's, it's pride all in itself, man. If you, if you feel you need to be on the platform, you go do it. You go tell your pastor what's up. That's a silly exercise. Let God govern when you get exalted. Let God decide when it's time for you to be moved into different areas of ministry. Because he's not going to put any more on you than you can bear. And since he knows more than I do, and we can acknowledge that in this house, God will be able to put me where I need to be when it's time for me to be there. And tying back into the first point, there's a lot of times he's going to use your pastor to do that. All the more reason to be submitted. All the more reason to have a relationship with him. So that when God tells him it's time to move that young person into something spectacular, you have a good enough relationship with your pastor where that conversation's easy. Because moving into something spectacular also comes with some spectacular additional responsibilities. 
And God's not going to put that on you if you can't handle it because your eternal destination is more important than you getting the glory for some ministry you started at your church. Where you spend eternity is what matters to God. And he wants to reach the world around you, and he's going to use you to do it. I really believe that. This is the most talented generation we've ever seen. But humility is something that's going to need to be learned quickly for God to be able to do what he wants to do in this generation. Because he's going to do something, and I just pray that we get a grip on this humbling ourselves thing before he has to equip us with what's necessary in humility quicker than what we wanted. That's an embarrassing road to take. The third thing, theme this morning, on how we beat a roaring lion, Peter pins it right before he introduces the adversary with the words, be sober and be vigilant. Sober means to be free from intoxicating influence. Everybody say influence. When someone is intoxicated, their sensitivity to their surroundings is affected, their judgment is impaired, and they are more prone to accidents or mistakes. So Peter writes this, he says, be sober. Don't be intoxicated with things that are going to distract you from the task that's at hand. He also said to be vigilant, to carefully watch for dangers and difficulties. So not only can you not be distracted, but you have to be on a constant lookout for things that are looking to harm you. I keep tying it back into the first point, but that's another reason to be submitted to your pastor. If you want to be active about looking out for your soul, go have a stern conversation with your pastor that says, Pastor, tell me where I'm messing up. Tell me what I need to do differently so that God can use me properly. You may not like what you hear because oftentimes that's going to change behavior. And we don't often like that, but that's okay. The roaring lion is after our eternal destination. He wants you, I'm going to be frank, he wants you in hell. He doesn't want you to succeed. He doesn't want you in heaven. And most of y'all are fanning. I'm going to make the joke. If you think this is hot, but in order to ensure that our destination is heavenly, we have to be sober and we have to be vigilant. We can't be given over and intoxicated by the distractions of this world. And I'm going to paint that real clear for y'all. The music that we listen to can be intoxicating. It's a silly exercise to think that the former choir director in heaven wouldn't use music as something to influence our souls. It's, the most, it's one of the most powerful things in our church services, but it's also one of the most powerful weapons that the enemy will use. And if you don't think it's intoxicating, listen to an instrumental-only song and see if you stomp your foot. See if you bob your head a little bit, depending on the beat of the song. It's intoxicating. You get wrapped up in music. So much so that your judgment may be impaired and you don't know what the lyrics are saying. And you know what kind of messages you're putting in front of yourself. The shows and entertainment that we consume could be intoxicating, could be distracting. It could impair our judgment. It could make us desensitized to things that are inherently against the Bible. If it's in this book, guys, if it's in this book, it's important to God. Okay? That's simple. And the entertainment we consume is going to try to desensitize the issues that are very important to God to where I, I start thinking about it like, well, maybe it's not a heaven or hell issue when the word completely says something else. 
The people we hang out with could be intoxicating. The people you have a relationship with could be intoxicating. We, me and Brother Zach Cunningham were talking briefly before service. And I'm going to let your pastor dictate the rules to your church, but when Amber and I were dating, I preferred not to sit by her in church because, brutal honesty, she's a beautiful, godly young lady, and her presence is intoxicating. I wasn't focused on church when she was right next to me. I'm just going to be frank on that. The way we conduct ourselves with the opposite sex needs to be something that's holy and before God. And you have to be sober, removing influence from yourself that could harm you if you have to do that. Because eternity matters. The applications that are on your cell phone could be intoxicating. It's amazing how much time we could waste if you pull up YouTube and just let it run. Because the algorithms in there actually show you stuff that's important. I listen, I watch a lot of drum tutorial videos because I'm amazed at people who are, are really good at the drums. But the algorithm, you could be watching... Uh, you know, a UPCI music video, and it could run into another music video. And then before you know it, you're listening to, you know, Metal Drummer shows you how to double kick pedal, whatever. The algorithm could be intoxicating. If you're not careful and you just let that run in the background, eventually you're exposing yourself to stuff that you didn't intend to expose yourself to. That's the way it works with our cell phones if we're not careful. I'm sorry, i got to follow the Holy Ghost. This thing right here could be the most intoxicating thing in your life if you're not careful. And I'm just going to say it frankly. There's a reason we're taking, up, uh, we're taking them up in the dorms at nighttime because it can be intoxicating. And you can do your best to be holy and acceptable before God, but if you continue to expose yourself to horrible influences and continue to leave yourself susceptible to things that can harm you, your judgment will be impaired and you'll end up in some place that you didn't ever want to be in. You'll be making a mistake and apologizing to your pastor for something that you didn't think was going to happen. Because it started out as just a text message or it started out as just a Snapchat or it started out as just an instant message. And then before you know it, you're in a place where you never thought you'd be. I would advocate for you to get some accountability with your cell phone. Like I said, I'm not your pastor, and maybe this is a conversation you should have with him. But if you're serious about ministry, put some checks in your life. And if we're married, I'm just going to say it frankly, if we're married, our spouse needs access to our phone. I know this is camp, so you guys, when you get married, remember that. But don't let those intoxicating influences harm your judgment. Don't let it desensitize what's important. That's why prayer life is important because God will gradually reveal things to you that says you probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't be on your phone that late at night. You probably shouldn't be scrolling through that uh, Spotify station. It's going to lead you to a place you don't want to be. But there are also dangers that are out there that you have to be on constant lookout for. And God will reveal these to us if we just listen. If we just listen. That's why living a submitted life to God can help you more than anything that I'm discussing this morning because God will show you the dangers in your life. And he may use your pastor to do it. And he may use a preacher to do it. He may use Brother Fish to do it later this week. He could be preaching on something and God's speaking directly to you on what God's wanting to do because he wants to use you. 
He wants to use your talent and your ability. He gave it to you for a reason. But we have to be sober and vigilant on what comes in front of our eyes and what comes in our ears and what comes into our heart. I want to draw an exercise for you guys. The Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if you ever find yourself saying something that you felt you shouldn't have said, that didn't come out of thin air. That came out of something that we've been putting into our heart. And the Bible says that it's an abundance, which means I've put enough of that in my heart that it came out of my mouth. So if you say something bad about your friend or whatever that may be, it come out of your mouth. It's because there's some abundance of that in your heart. We need to check that. We need to be vigilant on what we're looking at. There is an adversary that is out there. He's a roaring lion, but there are ways to beat the adversary. Everybody say ways to beat the adversary. That was really weak. Let's do that again. Ways to beat the adversary. Perfect. Are y'all awake? Wave your hand at me if you're awake. And I was like... 17 hands that didn't go up. That's kind of scary. Everybody say pay attention. Being vigilant is an active exercise to basically screen what you're doing. You have to pay attention to what's coming into your life. You have to make sure that there's not some kind of ulterior motive that's coming with what we're doing. We have to pay attention. We're going to move into a place of prayer in just a moment. But I want to read some questions to you that will help you gauge whether or not you're being sober and vigilant. Each week, ask yourself this. Was it easier or harder to pray this week? This is honesty. You have to be honest with yourself sometimes because there are weeks that I go through where it's like it was harder to pray this week than it was last week. And why was that? What did I put in front of me that that caused an issue? Because I know God wants to talk to me. I know he wants to have a relationship with his creation. So it must have been something that I've done that drove, drove a wedge between us. Sin does that. Is it easier or harder to fast than the last time you did it? How easy is it to read my Bible every day? Do you actually enjoy reading your Bible? Do you crave hearing what God's Word says? Or is it something where you have to just, you know, motivate yourself and read two pages and say, I'm done, I ain't doing that anymore? And here's another one. One of the truest tests I can find about my spiritual welfare is how responsive am I at altar calls? And as you get older and move into different ministry positions at your church and you're on the platform and you're on the music team and Maybe you're teaching, whatever. We can't allow even ministry to get in the way of our spiritual welfare. Because, guys, I'm looking at a room full of very talented and very capable young people who are going to do some incredible things for God. And he's going to move you into areas of ministry when you're ready for that. But the fact of the matter is, is if you let that become a distraction and you let that become something that intoxicates you, if it's more about my ministry than the ministry of God. It'll take a little while for you to get used to having altar calls again. 
If you play music every week, it's a little uncomfortable in an altar call sometimes because you're not used to being there. But if your relationship with God's right, it shouldn't be that hard because it's another opportunity for him to come and influence your life. So you have to ask yourself those questions. Is it easier or harder to respond at altar call? Brother Fish started last night. Perfect test case. How easy was it for you to submit what, to what God was wanting to do last night? Was it a struggle? Was it because we were tired? Was it because we were distracted? Was it because we were outside? Because God's, he's everywhere. So it's not him that changed. It's something that changed with me. So how responsive are we at altar calls? We have to do everything that we can, young people, to fight against this adversary, the roaring lion. Because eternity is what's on the line. And it's an active exercise. Sister Taylor, if your team's ready. It's an active exercise. Eternity is what's on the line. Everybody say eternity. I opened this morning by telling you that there's an active effort to dilute issues and to not heaven or hell issues. And then I also said that most things ultimately are heaven or hell issues because we're spending eternity in one of those locations. I want to go to heaven. And if, I've, if it's as easy as submitting to my pastor, being humble and being sober and being vigilant to defeat the enemy, that's easy for me. I'll do that because the benefit greatly outweighs the cost. And unfortunately, our time horizon on when we do these things in the scheme of eternity is relatively short. So we have to be proactive and we have to be active because you never know if you're going to get another opportunity. So on the first technical day service of camp, if you'll stand to your feet. We're going to move into a place of prayer this morning, and I know this altar call is untraditional compared to what we may be used to in a youth service. But I need you guys to understand the importance of eternity and the fact that there is an active enemy that does not want you in heaven. So they're going to be playing and singing in just a moment, but we're going to make ourselves ready for this week. But I want to pose this question. If God came back this afternoon, are you ready for that? Because it's definitely possible. A lot of things are already aligned. It could happen anytime. So if you've entered this day service and you're thinking, oh, I'll just get things right when Brother Fish preaches tonight, and I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be great. But if you've, re if you've reached this day service and say, I'm going to get right tonight, what if tonight never comes? We have to be sober and vigilant now. We have to act with urgency now because we don't know what this afternoon is going to hold. We need a greater relationship with God continually. We need to move into a greater relationship with God this afternoon than we had this morning and tonight than we had this afternoon and tomorrow than we had tonight. God wants to grow something incredible in this generation, but it's a matter of whether or not we'll allow him to do that. And we've got to stop pretending that things are not eternity issues because everything ultimately is. And it's important for me to tell you that because God has dealt with me in a very heavy way about the fact that there's this active effort to dilute what the Bible says.
and it's deceptive. The Bible also refers to the adversary as the deceiver of the brethren. It doesn't always move smoothly in black and white issues on like all of a sudden holiness isn't cool. But it'll just gradually move that line to where no longer it's a heaven or hell issue. So what we're going to do in this, this place this morning, I know it's hot, but I believe in responsiveness. So I'm opening the altars right now because I want God to come into this place and begin to minister to the hearts and lives of each and every one of us because we have a responsibility to be vigilant to what God wants us to do. And if you don't know what to pray, pray that God teaches you humility. Pray that God removes pride from your life. Pray that he reveals things to you that need to be moved out of the way. Pray, God, show me what it is that's distracting me or hindering me from fulfilling the will that you've called me to do. Whatever it is. And young people, I'm going to be frank. Prayer is an open mouth exercise, so don't look at me. Pray to God. Lift your hands in this place and begin to call on his name right now because he's wanting to do something even on the first service of youth camp today. He's wanting to move into this house and begin to alter lives. Now that you've lifted your hands, why don't you go ahead and lift your voice and begin to cry out to him. And I mean cry out to him because eternity is on the line. We're talking about whether you spend eternity in heaven or whether you spend it in hell. I'm talking about whatever it takes, I want to go to heaven. Cry out to him right now. God, we 